Hey folks, hope you're having a good week so far. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the States or everybody that celebrates it at this time. It is Thanksgiving Day. It is a family day for me. I've got my baby I'm holding right now. You probably hear him. He is gnawing away on a waffle. So uh, we're getting ready right now. Uh, I'm getting this up a little late, but wanted to revisit this episode with Chris talking about financial freedom and how that makes for a more adventurous life and allows you to do adventures. And I'll say that's a biggest, one of the biggest reasons I was able to do, and I'm still able to do so many adventures, is how we structure our finances, living below our means, um, saving a lot of money, staying out of debt, stuff like that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. We got to get some cooking done and uh, head off to see some family. So have a great day. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving this time of year or at all, uh, no worries. Hope you still get together with folks you love and, and eat some food and Go on some adventures. All right. Talk soon. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Uh, today, we're talking um, something that's, you know, uh, when it comes to adventure, it was always a question in my mind, was finances. How do people make it work? How do people create a lifestyle around doing the things they love and seem to have all this time and money to do things? And uh, we're, we're learning from someone who's doing it firsthand, uh, Chris Mamula. He and his family, just, I mean, adventure all over the place, do all kinds of incredible stuff all around the world, um, but also are very keen on finances. So Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here and talk to you. Yeah, man. I, I know we were just talking a little bit, but uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're retired, correct? Uh, yeah, I left my uh, career as a physical therapist in December of 2017, and I was I was 41 years old at the time. And uh, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, and uh, kind of st somehow stumbled into this outdoors community. And uh, so most, I mean, there's not a whole lot of big mountains in Western Pennsylvania. So right. we did a lot of traveling all over the world. We came out West every year. Um, and then uh, we just, we kind of wanted to pursue this more. We wanted to move West. So after we, uh, after I quit my job, we moved to Ogden, Utah, where we live now. And we did that last July. So we're almost coming up on a year here. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that uh, fresh for you guys. How's the adjustment been? Um, in some ways it was, it was harder than we anticipated, but overall, I mean, we, I think we chose the right location. We absolutely love it here. And, uh, kind of all the stuff that we love to do is right in our backyard. So it's, uh, it's allowed us to build the lifestyle that we always really wanted. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's an awesome area. Honestly, we're in Denver and I definitely think a lot about moving to the Salt Lake city area. Just that big corridor right there. You've got the mountains on all sides of you here. It's just kind of straight West. And really, the only thing that's east is Kansas. So there's only fun going one direction. <laughs> I think the the only thing with, with the mountains being on both sides of the Salt Lake, it creates this little bowl effect. And we get what's called uh, inversions where the where the pollution actually will get trapped over the, the whole valley from, I think it's actually worse south. It's not too bad up here, but uh, you get these, the pollution will get stuck for a week, sometimes a couple of weeks at a time, and it can get kind of nasty air quality. And if you get up in the mountains, you get above it. It's not bad, but... Uh, other than that, I mean, we love absolutely everything about this area. It's it's been it's been a great uh, choice for us. Oh man, I was not aware of that uh, pollution problem. Dang, yeah, it, it happens here. But yeah, to be trapped like that, oh. So mm -hmm. so so you moved out there. Um, you're retired um, with your family. What are you doing now? What what's kind of like your day filled with? 
Uh, so I have, we kind of timed our, our move. Um, so just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I, you and I were talking before we started recording, but um, my wife and I were married back in 2001. And um, so we shortly thereafter, um, we, we did my first backpacking trip into the Grand Canyon, probably about 2002, maybe 2003. And we just fell in love with the outdoors. And uh, so we did a ton of traveling all around adventure sports. And, um, and we kind of always wanted to move west. And so we were going to take the leap in, it was around 2012. My wife actually had a job in the Salt Lake area with Black Diamond. And uh, this was kind of something that developed over like a, a six month period. And uh, she finally got her job offer. And then the same week, she found out she was pregnant when we didn't think we could have kids. So uh, it kind of just shook our world. And, and we decided to stay put in our in our little town in Western Pennsylvania and kind of thought we'd live a more traditional lifestyle. And and, uh, and we love being parents, but we also we just missed that sense of adventure. And we wanted to uh, relocate out here to uh, build that lifestyle around the outdoors. So uh, we got really serious about personal finances. And I ended up, uh, yeah, I guess we'd call it we'll put air quotes, we'll call it retiring. But um, so I left my job in December of 2017 and we moved out to Ogden last July in 2018. And since we've been here, um, we kind of timed the move around my daughter starting kindergarten. So um, I work writing, uh, I write a, a early retirement blog and I just wrote a book called Choose FI, uh, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And so I typically, I'll get up and write in the morning. I get up like around five in the morning and I'll write till seven or eight. And uh, when my daughter's in school, we take her to school then. And then uh, my wife and I will get out and like this year we skied, I think 50 some days. And um, like now that we're into the warmer season, we get out and hike or bike or whatever. And uh, just uh, all about being outdoors. And, and now that my daughter's out of school for the summer, she gets out and she's getting pretty into it too. So it's really fun and, and seeing her grow. And um, that's kind of the focus now is just getting her to, to love this stuff and to not turn her off on it. It sounds like uh, you're living the dream then. Yeah, it's definitely kind of what we always imagined. And uh, it was just kind of the process of figuring out how to put it together and make it happen. I, well, I imagine because you say, you know, physical therapist is what you retired from. Um, I'm, I'm sure you made good money doing that, but I don't think that's like a, a guaranteed path to early retirement. So it must have been more than just making money. Uh, it must have been a just total lifestyle change for you guys because you say you don't have a background in finance but started taking it seriously. Uh, kind of specifically, what did you start doing and how early on did you start doing that? Yeah, so I think when people hear the word early retirement or or like the lifestyle that we're living, I think people think either one of two things. You have to have this massive income, which uh, my wife and I made yeah. uh, definitely above average income, but never neither of us ever made a six-figure salary ever. And uh, or the other thing is they think, you know, you're born with a silver spoon. And that was definitely not our background either. Um, I think the fact that we came from pretty modest background was actually probably our biggest advantage. Um, my parents just raised me to hate debt and to despise it. And it, and it definitely that took root with me. And my wife came from a, uh, a family that um, probably had a similar income, but weren't quite as good with money. And so she put herself through school and and she's very hardworking, industrious, but uh, honestly, I was kind of freaked out as we were getting married. She had about probably twenty to thirty thousand dollars between student le student loans and a car loan, and I was just nervous entering uh, a marriage with debt. So I wanted to get out. So we before um, while I was still in physical therapy school, I was working part time, and we came up with this plan to just put everything we could to get her out of debt before we got married. And we hit that goal, and we were pretty comfortable living off her salary. So we just kept doing that, and we started banking my salary. So. For 15, 16 years, that's what we did. Um, my whole physical therapy salary went to savings, and that's what enabled us to to do what we did. 
Uh, it's definitely not the only way you can do it, uh, which is kind of what I write about in my book. I think it's actually a, a hard path for most people, but that's one path. And there, there's some different paths you can take to, to build this lifestyle. Was that tough? Um, you know, I think because we started so early, it was actually not hard at all. Uh, because my wife, we lived in Pittsburgh and we both started making only about $40,000 a year when we started in 2000, 2001. Uh, and Pittsburgh's not a super high cost of living city, but it's also, I mean, it's a, it's a major city. Um, so it's not super cheap either. Um, but we were able to build a lifestyle and we were young and we were in college. Most of our friends were. And so we were just living that lifestyle and we were happy. And so when that second, um, income came on, like, I think most people just get that temptation to buy the big house or buy the fancy car. And we just didn't do that. And then as we increased our income, so we probably topped out around 80 or $90,000 a year each, uh, which is, again, is a decent salary, but not massive money. Uh, but so we were able to inflate our lifestyle, but still stay with only one salary. So it was actually um, not much of a sacrifice, which is why I think this worked well for us. And I think that's why this message translates to the outdoor community, because I think we have that natural built-in frugality bent. Like you kind of hear like the dirt bag or the ski bum. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, have that mentality already. So if you can combine that with a couple of years of making decent money, uh, you can do this pretty quickly. That seems, yeah, strikingly simple to be honest. And, and I was going to say, you know, early on when you were talking about the beginning, man, you could put my name and my wife's name right in your spot. That's almost our exact scenario yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of taking the startup route right now, so the money isn't like my income definitely isn't there. Um, so we are living off hers for sure, uh, with the hopes that it'll pay off. But uh, we, you know, we we do kind of have a a runway with that, so it, it'll be like okay, if it's not by this point, we're not going to do continue this way. Um, but yeah, I would say that only reason that has been possible is because we're we're able to live off one income. Um, so it's given us a lot of freedom in that sense, and we're choosing it to use it in a certain way right now. Um, but yeah, I can't agree with you more that that's a, that's a great goal to set. And I have to thank my mom for instilling that in me. Thank you, mom. But, uh, <laughs> but it sounds like it paid off for you guys too. Yeah, for sure. And, and like one thing I would just kind of point out, cause I don't think this is really obvious to people. Uh, but so in the book that I wrote, we studied a bunch of different people that took different paths to get to financial independence quickly. And I think a lot of people start off with retirement means, um, you know, you never work again. And retirement means that like you and investing means like you're putting money into stocks and bonds. And that's really, it's possible if you again, have a story like mine where you start really early and you can make a decent salary and save a lot of it. But uh, what we find is like most people don't retire in the true sense of the word anyway. So what I think the ultimate goal is to build that lifestyle that lines up with your values. Uh, and so, like I said, like I still work, I write, I'm writing a book. My wife works for a company out of Washington, DC. She works like about 28 hours a week right now. Um, but she has a super flexible schedule and she can get up and work whenever and we get out together and do stuff. So, I mean, ultimately that's, it's more about that than retirement. And if I think you look at it that way, it makes the goal a lot more achievable, uh, for a lot of people. And like, I think what you're doing is pretty awesome. It's kind of what actually we're trying to do anyway, is build this lifestyle business because it just feels good to have income. And it's, it's scary if you're drawing down your investments and you're only 41, 42 years old and you got a 50, 60 year potential horizon. So I think if people reframe the question, it makes it a lot more achievable. That's a good point. And I like that you mentioned you kind of separate um, typical retirees versus outdoorsy, adventurous people who have this totally different mindset about life anyway. 
Um, there's such, you know, so many people that listen to the show and I know you and myself included, we're ambition driven. We have, you know, ambitious goals and, and we, we look at life a little bit differently, differently. Our vacation time is not spent, you know, maybe sometimes, but not always just sitting on the beach. It's, we're doing it to do something active, something challenging, something fun. And so with retirement, it's not necessarily just sitting down, playing golf, doing whatever all day. It's doing more of what we want to do, but in a way that makes sense. I don't know. It just seems like uh, it seems, it does seem a lot more doable for people in this, in this uh, mindset originally. Yeah. And, and like a common term you'll see is like extreme frugality is like the path that I took with saving 50%. And I just totally reject that. Like the term we throw around in, in the book is we call it being a valuist, just meaning that you're really lining up your spending with what you value. So um, like as far as like, how did we save that much? Like most people, if you look at the spending of the average American, they spend about 30 to 35% goes to housing. About 50% is between housing, cars, and food. And so we lived in a relatively low cost area and we lived in way less house than we could, you know, quote unquote afford. And we always drove crappy cars and just those two simple things really kind of uh, were the catalyst for us to be able to do what we did. But like along the way, we've traveled all over the world. We've, we did trips out West. We skied everywhere. Um, basically kind of anything we wanted to do. Uh, the only limiting factor was vacation time, I guess, but um, we couldn't have really done any more because of that limiting factor. And But we've done a ton uh, on the path to doing this. It, I definitely don't feel like we lived a life of deprivation by any means. That's very interesting. You said the two biggest things were living in less house than you can afford and driving affordable vehicles. Mm-hmm, for sure. That's encouraging. You know, that's something everybody can do. Yeah, because I think like like the common narrative is, you know, cut out the latte or, you know, um, get rid of cable and stuff like that. And like, I mean, cable is a decently sized expense, but unless you're drinking a lot of lattes, um, you're probably not going to retire early doing that. Um, but if you can get a couple of big things right versus trying to scrimp and save on every tiny little expense, uh, it makes life a lot easier and more enjoyable. And, and you don't have to worry about the little things if you get the big things right. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Was there ever a time that that system didn't seem to be working for you guys or it was tempting to say, you know what, we just need to, we need to use both incomes or, or I don't know, any situations that popped up like that? No, um, the only time I think we kind of just got discouraged, um, right before when, when we found out my wife was pregnant, um, we were like, we had zero, um, technical financial background and we really, we realized later we were making a lot of mistakes with our, with our investments. But, um, right before when we found out my wife was pregnant, we were going to move West at that point and just kind of basically we were going to wing it cause we were two competent adults and we didn't have a real plan. We had a bit of savings as a nest egg and that was it. And, um, when my daughter came, we kind of just felt like we had to get serious. And on one hand, we were overjoyed. We were going to be having a child that we didn't think we could have. But on the other hand, it was a little bit depressing because we felt like now we have to live this normal lifestyle that everybody else does. So one of the (laughs) things we did do is I actually went out and I didn't finance it, but I actually bought a new car for the first time in my life. And, and then because we started to realize like having a child is actually the catalyst that really made us get serious about finance and made us get serious about planning so we could actually live this lifestyle we wanted to live. So um, after that initial couple months period of kind of just drifting and losing uh, losing sight of the goal, I think uh, having a child really made us focus. And now we got right back on track. And, and that was actually uh, definitely it sped up the time that we were able to retire. 
You know, I, I've heard a lot of adventurers uh, from everything from mountaineers to climbers say that, you know, a kid counterintuitively was the, the spark that started this whole thing off that they're like known for now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I wanted my son to look at me one day and say, that was awesome. Or I wanted just to get serious about my goals um, because this is, and it seems like, okay, the time where you're going to have this thing that's going to require all your time and all your energy and most of your money should be the worst time to try to set these goals. But it seems for a lot of people, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, a big key uh, is just figuring out why you want to do what you want to do. And, and kind of, I mean, that was what set us off in the beginning is we knew we had a different purpose than what most people, like we didn't just start spending mindlessly. And we had that, uh, that why was originally the outdoor adventure. And then why we got really serious about it was then having her. And uh, that, that really clarified that why even more. And I, I think with, without that, people just tend to drift through life. But when you have that purpose, a lot of things are possible that you don't think are possible otherwise. So um, yeah, I, it was definitely... It was a blessing in more ways than in more ways than one, and financially was definitely not one we thought would be when we found out that we were going to be having a child. But yeah, it definitely helped us financially. Uh, what's what's your daughter's life like right now? Is mom and dad just always taking her on adventures and just having a great time? So you know, <laughs> we um we kind of our our strategy from the beginning was we're not going to push her to do anything because we didn't want to turn her off on things. Right, and right. so probably the the first thing we got her into was skiing. And, and I have a, I have a buddy who has a, a boy who's actually six months, almost six months to the day younger than her. So she would have been about just over two. So he was probably only about 18, 19 months. And he calls and he says, you know, we got these skis, uh, bring her up. And so we're like, this is a dumb idea. And he's like, well, if it's terrible, we'll just hike around or something. So we did. And that first day when she was two, she just loved it. And, uh, she was actually in tears. Like she's not a crier. She doesn't throw fits ever. Like from, she was just a great baby. Uh, but she actually threw a fit and we like pulled her off the slopes and we're like, this is kind of cool. So we, uh, we got a, we rented skis for the months of March when it warmed back up at the end of that season. And we were out all the time and she just took to skiing. So that was kind of her first thing. And then we've just kind of gradually got her into other stuff. Like last summer, she really started liking to hike and liking to walk. And uh, this summer, she's on her mountain bike now. And she's got she's starting to get into climbing. We don't like climbing inside, but I think we're going to probably have to join the gym because she likes going to the climbing gym now. So, uh, But wherever she kind of leads us, we just kind of let her go. And as long as we're outside and adventuring, we're having fun. So I think that's been the key to our success is, is following her lead and not pushing her places she doesn't want to go. I don't know. Just what a fun life. Sounds awesome. What a, what a, yeah. what a great time to be alive with parents that are in a good spot, have the, some more extra time, you know, and uh, have the ability to want to try new things like that. For sure. Yeah. And, and she, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely been a blast. It's kind of cool. Like stuff that before you would think, um, like we would always, always just like, we had to push to do bigger and higher and harder things. And it really kind of makes you just step back and you're actually like looking at the bugs and looking at the flowers and you kind of realize why you fell in love with being outside in the first place and just seeing things through her eyes. It's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. I've heard, I've heard a lot of dads say that, um, it, it gets you out of the mindset of saying, you know, bigger and bigger adventures, like you just talked about to this walk along this river is, is enough is like mm-hmm. enough adventure for me for, for, for sure. today, which is just, I don't know. It's just so cool. Definitely. Uh, almost takes a lot of pressure off to like, oh, I got to think of crazier and crazier adventures to keep myself interested, but you just got to look at it a different way, I guess. 
Yeah, I think so. And, and I think like one of the probably prior to having a child, like I think our driving force that set us off to do this is we were starting to get into high altitude mountaineering. And so as you're getting, you know, you're getting 18, 19, 20,000 feet and you need time to acclimate and sit out weather windows if you're traveling that far. And, and pretty much one trip a year was eating our vacation time. And we had all these other things we wanted to do. And it was all about traveling and doing this stuff. And now that we've had her, like we've, we've re- quote unquote retired and we have all this freedom. And we've actually found we really don't want to travel that much. And I think a lot of it before was, it was just, we really wanted to escape our lives that we didn't like. And now that we're actually living the life we want to live, uh, we're, we're focusing a lot. Like we're, this area is new to us still. Like I said, we've only been here about a year. So just little micro adventures. We're always looking at a new trail or, or trying and just climbing on some new rocks and just checking some stuff out. And it's been a lot of fun. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely helped us find contentment, which I don't think we had before. That's a really good observation. And I, and I think that summed up with, uh, you don't have a life that you want to escape now, but you did then for sure. <laughs> and so is that, is that part of it just building a life that you don't need a vacation from? I think that's, that's a big piece. And it took us a while to figure that out. And I, wow. I don't know that we even figured it out while we were planning. It's kind of been after the fact, because I think when we, we talked and we still do have some ambitions, like I would love to maybe do like a small RV and take a whole summer and see the country. And I'd like to travel internationally with my daughter and, and show her different, how different people live in different parts of the world. But there's really no urgency to do that right now. And we don't have anything on the immediate horizon that we're planning. We're just, like I said, we're just content and then we'll kind of see where life takes us. You ever get bored in retired life? Uh, definitely not. But I mean, so when I, when I retired, um, again, my, we will throw the retired in air quotes. My original yeah, thought yeah, was maybe I would keep being a physical therapist. Like it's pretty easy to get a job as a physical therapist, like doing maybe a travel assignment where you work three months a year or maybe working part time, like a couple evenings a week. And, and that would have been enough to uh, supplement our investment income. And we'd have been comfortable with that. And then I kind of fell into these, these writing projects. So I, I write on the blog called can I retire yet? And it's much bigger than the blog I wrote on my, on my own. And that just happened. He was somebody who I, I had read his blog for a long time um, and he just, I could kind of sense he was burning out. So I reached out to him and we ended up partnering on that, which worked out really nicely. And then, uh, same thing with, I, I kind of always wanted to write a book. I had this idea that I was going to start a podcast and interview people that did similar things to me and then compile that into lessons to teach other people. Instead of like saying, this is what I did, try that. Cause that just doesn't work for most people. Like, uh, you can't replicate my story cause your situation is going to be different, but by taking different people and turning that into a, a book, that's what I wanted to do. And these two guys started a podcast and I just reached out to them early on. And cause I kind of felt like, you know, they, they stole my idea and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, their podcast was starting to take off. So I reached out and they agreed to partner and, and it's really worked out, worked out well cause they've taken off. So, um, yeah, we'll see where that goes and, and if we can sell some books and help some people. Um, but yeah, I'm very encouraged and, and that's where we're at now. And so the, so the book is called choose FI meaning financial independence. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's the name of a podcast that these two guys do. And they, with the podcast, like I said, they interview people that have achieved things quickly, achieved financial independence quickly through different means. And then what I did with the book is I came in and just analyzed all their interviews and broke it down into common principles and patterns that really anybody could replicate by, by choosing like which, which scenarios line up with yours and which levers can you pull that makes sense to build the life that you want. Wow. Yeah. Anything you can share based on, uh, for the outdoor an adventure sports community from the book itself. I know that's, that's a, that's a big question, but like, I, I guess I saw a few things that, um, you know, you know, kind of developing a why, like, why are you doing this? 
Yeah, I, I think um, so. I really don't think there's anything that's specific necessarily to the outdoor community. Uh, what I think, though, um, is what we talk about is that that term being a valueist and lining your life up with your values. So if that's what you value, then uh, then you can certainly pursue that. Um, one thing that I would kind of we kind of talked a little bit about, like rejecting traditional definitions of retirement. Uh, so, I mean, these people were not in the book. They haven't been on the podcast, but just people who I kind of follow and, and I watch what they're doing as they're building a business. Uh, but I don't know if you've heard of the blog uh, Barefoot Theory. There's a woman named Kristen. I don't think she shares her last name, um, but she just basically uh, she was in D.C. Uh, having a kind of a corporate job and she moved out to the Salt Lake area. And uh, now she travels around the world and basically makes her income by r- adventuring and writing about her adventures. Uh, and there's a guy who uh, writes the blog, uh, semirad.com, uh, a guy named Brendan Leonard. Oh, yeah. I really, I, yeah, I really enjoy reading his stuff because, again, it's kind of that everyman adventurer. And and it's really neat to see what he's done. Uh, I, I enjoy watching those people who have built a, a lifestyle uh, around what they love to do. But that's one of the paths we talk about in the book. Instead of pursuing a traditional retirement uh, and and maybe uh, using traditional investments, like we talk a lot about uh, investing in a business. And for a lot of people, I think that's just really scary. And uh, I know I would be scared. I would not be here as an online entrepreneur trying to figure things out if I had to pay a mortgage and a car payment and worry about putting food on the table. But because we have this financial independence, I can take my time and, and figure things out slowly. And there's really not a whole lot of risk to it because if it fails, then um, I would just live off my investments. And if that failed, I could always, worst case scenario, I guess go back and get a job. But uh, um, so when you look at things through that perspective, it really opens up a lot of options that they're there for everybody, but it's, it's pretty scary if you, if you know, you got yourself living paycheck to paycheck and you don't have that, that freedom to take a breath and, and really look at things and develop a plan. Do you talk to anybody that's, that's done it in the reverse that you have, you know, they, they pursue that passion first, maybe, I don't know, guiding or, uh, like you took Brandon uh, Leonard as an example, just someone who mm-hmm. maybe tries to be a you know an outdoor comic or whatever you want to call him first, and then tries to build something on that. Uh, awesome, yeah, I've I've been a big fan of his work for a while, um, but I mean I don't have any idea of like what type of security he has if he stopped writing his blog or I know he's published some books and stuff. Right, right. I, I don't I don't know how uh, I I don't really know his situation, but there's no reason it wouldn't work that way. Um, and you can get out and start adventuring sooner. And, and kind of one of the things we talk about is, um, instead of you like looking at working versus retired and you have to be completely financially independent is just by, again, kind of creating that space and that, um, just that space in your life and that ability to not be paycheck to paycheck. If you had a two or a five year runway where, you know, you, if you had to figure stuff out and you don't have immediate income coming, uh, I think that would be a really, um, doable approach for a lot of people to, to be able to get off the traditional uh, treadmill of just going to work, spending, um, going back to work, spending, and, and really not having a, that freedom in your life. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's good advice because I, I, we feel like we talk to a lot of people on this show that, you know, have this idea that's on the side or, you know, maybe it's producing some income, but it's not enough. And they have this desire, this, this, this want for it to just be everything they do. Um, something that's usually very outside the box and man, my, my advice and from people I've heard, they're like, be content with it, even bringing anything in because when you pursue something full time, that's a little iffy, especially if you have responsibilities in place, it can really ruin that thing for you if it doesn't go well. Oh, for sure. And, And even like, so we've done some climbing with guides 
and, and I've had that conversation with people. I say, you know, this is like the dream life and you get to go out every day. And they're like, after a while, it's just a job because you're not climbing the things you want to climb. You're climbing kind of like the, the trade routes that the people, you know, are paying for. And you're doing the same things over and over. And sometimes it's risky because you, you're guiding whoever signs up and pays the money. And, and so you, you know, you get some people that aren't qualified to be out there. And, and so I kind of anything, if you have to do it as a job, yeah, you can ruin it, I think. And again, that kind of goes back to having that freedom to try things and not need to make money. And then a lot of times, because you're pursuing things you're really passionate about and you really care about and you're adding value to other people's lives, you end up making more money than you would have otherwise anyway, because you have to cut corners and you have to do things to be profitable. And it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of hard to see that thing when you're so caught up in the, in the rat race, but that's what we found a lot as we've profiled different people who have taken different paths. Absolutely. I I talked to a guy not long ago that wanted to be a rock star, like just, you know, guy on stage playing guitar in a band pursued that for years. Um, and he grew to hate it because it was not the, the time you spent playing in front of people who actually knew your music was such a small fraction of the whole experience. You were constantly, you know, coordinating gigs, administration stuff, uh, you know, you know, navigating emotions and band culture. And he said it was awful. It was awful. (laughs) And I realized I didn't love, I love the idea, but not the process to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's definitely two separate things for a lot of people who might not realize it yet. (laughs) You know, if you find something like you that you can do, you can do anywhere you're, you're marketable as a physical therapist, anywhere you want to live in the world, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just such valuable, such valuable skills to have. Yep. And, and kind of, I think it's like a lot of time, it's almost like the dog chasing the car and then you, you catch it and smack your head and you wonder what the heck was I going after. And <laughs> Right. Right, man. And so you, you mentioned, or I see a point on, uh, on the book that's coming out that, uh, cutting travel expenses and putting family vacation within your reach. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to mention like some, some tips with that, because I feel like a lot of people that listen to this show are using that vacation time to do their adventures. I can't tell you how many of the stories we interview are people's PTO, you know, two weeks of this, two weeks of that. And we put it together to have an adventure. Um, that's, that's valuable time to people. Mm-hmm. And so like one of the things, and, and so this, I'm, I'm a little nervous talking about this because this is a very general audience okay. and, yeah. and a lot of people are, um, don't have their ducks in a row. Uh, but once you are financially responsible, you don't have debt, you're good with credit cards. Uh, one of the things that we talk about is what's called travel hacking. And so basically what you're doing is you're signing up for a new credit card every couple of months. And when you sign up, you get, you have to spend two to $3,000 typically and for doing so, you'll get a, a reward in miles or in dollars. Um, and so typically, a, a typical reward is worth anywhere from, if on the low end, three or $400, and on the high end for the better cards, and if you use them efficiently, you can get $1,000. So hmm. like typically, people think if you sign up for a credit card and you use and you get 1% back. With this, you're getting like 15 to 30% back on all of your spending. And so, for example, um, this summer, we're heading back east to visit with family and we're going to do a a beach vacation in Virginia and we're flying completely for free. And we typically go around Christmas and we fly our whole family for free and we have all these hotel points and we can travel and do some things. And you can really eliminate or or drastically reduce your um, your travel expenses. 
uh, by, by just using these credit card rewards. And then building that with a flexible lifestyle where you're not traveling on peak times, uh, you can even make those dollars and miles go a lot further. So that's one simple example. Uh, but again, I would caution, you really have to be good because if, if you're paying fees and, and interest to a credit card company, I mean, they're, they're not losing money. They're not going out of business by, by giving these rewards. So they're, they're winning more than they're losing. But if you learn the rules and you use them well, I mean, that's certainly one technique that that can allow you to travel and do a lot more adventure if, if you do it wisely. Good word of caution, because that, that can get out of hand fast. Yeah, for sure. For if sure. If you're and, not, you know, disciplined and on top of it and uh, paying attention. <laughs> like yeah, and my, my medical background, it's, you know, do no harm first, do no harm. So uh, I, I always definitely warn, but uh, for the right person, I mean, that's one thing that's a super powerful strategy. Um, one other thing I would say about travel and adventure, and we touched on in the book is, I think just getting out of your comfort zone and a really powerful experience for me, uh, we, we uh, went and hiked Mount Kilimanjaro and you have to take a guide and porters. And like when you go, they give you this packing list and they, you know, they say you should have a zero degree sleeping bag uh, to be on the mountain and everything. And basically you carry a little day pack, like you, you hire these porters and they carry all your stuff. And um, we were just, we were fascinated. We loved talking with the locals and learning about their culture and, and knowing about them. And some of them had pretty decent English. So I was talking to the one porter and then they walked ahead and I went to catch up with him and he was already setting up his, his campsite. And we walked over and um, they're very private, super secretive. And I looked in and he was setting up, he had like an Aladdin, like the kid's cartoon Aladdin, like kid's sleeping bag. And that's what he was sleeping in Oh man, a couple of feet away from where we're in these zero degree down sleeping bags. And it just kind of puts things into perspective of, like, I think a lot of people think things are sacrifice. And I think seeing things like that as you travel and you see how other people really live and, and even not that there's not poverty in America and there's not that there's not people that have it really hard. Um, but I do think you have to step back and have perspective. And a lot of what people in our society consider uh, sacrifice, when you get out and see the world, I, I really think that there's a lot of value in that, even if you're spending some money to travel. Um, and, and you don't necessarily have to go to Africa to see that. I mean, you can certainly do um, just you know, volunteer trips with your church or your service organization in your area. And, or you can even just go and camp and in your local park with your kids. And again, just appreciating nature and stepping outside of your normal day to day. And I think there's a ton of value and stuff like that. So I think people, a lot of people look at travel as a luxury and say they can't afford it, or they look at it as a luxury and say, well, we're just going to spend whatever and go to Disney world or whatever. And I think if you just view things differently and, and you can kind of really reclaim your life and reclaim a lot of your time by just changing your perspective. I, I, I'm just thinking about that. Yeah. That's, that's a value that isn't as obvious if you haven't experienced it, the, the, the effect it has on you when you come home and it, and honestly probably encourages you to, to continue on the path that you're on with the financial independence and with being frugal and being smart, because you know how, um, maybe lucky of a position you, you, you have compared to most people around the world. Absolutely. And it's really amazing. Like, so when we started and I had an outline for the book and we, we were talking about travel just because travel rewards with the credit card is what a lot of people talk about. And so that was kind of on my outline to talk about travel. But as I really started to analyze the interviews, um, that, that just that appreciation of just realizing how you don't have to live how everybody else around you lives. It was such a valuable thing. And that was actually a bigger part of that travel chapter than the, the credit, a far bigger part of that chapter than the credit card rewards. And I think there's a, just a ton of value of stepping outside of, of the, your little bubble and, and your little echo chamber of where you live and seeing other cultures and other people and getting different experiences. And it's, it's super valuable. 
Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, I, I, I've been there a few times and have seen some poverty. And I will say it's been a while. So the effect does, you know, like anything else wears off over time. But man, it, it'll change the way you look at everything. And that is, like you said, an incredibly valuable, unforeseen byproduct of of having the ability to do these kinds of experiences that you guys have been able to um, totally can change the way. It it reminds you that no matter what you're going through, no matter stress or or indecision or whatever, life is pretty good for all of us here, in all honesty. You know what I mean? I'm going to have food tonight. I'm going to have a place to sleep. For sure. Wow, man, that that's uh, fantastic. So, is the book out? So, the book is for sale, but it's not officially released until October first. Oh, wow, October first. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It was a big project. It it, it took a little bit of. Uh, it, it, you wouldn't have been able to do this if you weren't retired. Then. <laughs> no, for sure. Like, even even with uh, not having a job to go to, I thought it would be like a six month project, and, and I really wanted to have it done like last July before we moved across the country. And so now we're we're approaching an extra year, and and, uh, and it's still not quite. I mean, it's we're we're sending out like our our uh, advanced copies for some reviews, and we're recording the audio book, but it's not completely done. So it's getting really close, but we're not there yet. Interesting. Is there any story within the book you could share that really, uh, really, really surprised you, or or something that was very unique financial independence journey? Um, I think uh, uh, an interesting story uh, to me that that I really personally really related to uh, was um, a guy called the Mad Scientist, who's um, that's the kind of the blog he writes, and he he writes anonymously, and that's that's the name he uses, and he writes this blog about retiring early, and and he's doing these basically um, like a scientist, meaning like you're doing science experience with finance, and uh, so about how do you get there as quickly as you possibly can. And he revealed in his interview that uh, he really kind of struggled with unhappiness, almost borderline depression, because he got so focused on retirement. And we talked about earlier that, um, you know, a lot of times when you get to retirement, you don't retire anyway, because then you kind of just have this freedom to say, well, what do I want to really do with my life? And um, and so kind of what he realized along the path is he kind of had the wrong goals. And, and I think I had a lot of that myself. And we talked about like a lot of my desire to get in the outdoors was just escaping from this life that... Uh, you don't necessarily like. So I related a lot to that. And I think a lot of people will uh, relate to that particular story. Um, and so, yeah, that that's one that pops front of mind right away. So it was kind of about finding a balance between pursuing this, but not, you know, maybe foregoing life right now as well. Yeah, for sure. Like instead of sacrificing everything with this, this kind of idea that once I hit this goal, once I retire, once I do this, I will be happy. Um, kind of like we were just talking about with that change of perspective, but I mean, you can be happy wherever you're at in life if, if you choose to be happy, but it, it has to be a conscious choice. And, and it's certainly harder for some people than others. I'm not going to say it's easy, but um, ultimately, I think that's really what we're all after is not retirement, but finding that fulfilling life and, and finding that way to live out our purpose and our, you know, our true values. That's a good distinction. That's a very good distinction, because if you're a totally miserable person, having all the money in the world isn't going to change anything for you. <laughs> And there, there's a lot of wealthy people who are very unhappy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a tale as old as time. And it's, yep, yep. That, that's a good, I, I'm glad that you said that. Cause I, I heard something recently about, 
Um, you know, if, if it takes 10 years, like your goal is going to take 10 years, well, if to go on a handful of vacations or to really enjoy it is going to cause that goal to be put off till 10 years and six months, is it really a big deal? You know, an extra six months is not much to ask for if you can enjoy that decade rather than be miserable the whole time by setting these crazy standards to, to stick to. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, like one of the other things that, that is a key point in the book is as fast as we got here, I mean, we did it making a lot of mistakes. So um, we we did pretty well with, with the things that a lot of people miss with um, housing, cars, stuff like that. And that's how we build our savings rate. But once you get to that point, you can really kind of throw gasoline on the fire by just doing a few technical things that are that are honestly very simple. And, and almost anybody could do this if if you just take a couple of hours to learn these technical aspects. But you can cut your tax bill by thousands of dollars a year and you can cut thousands off your investing expenses. And actually, your investments are most likely going to do better by just doing some specific approaches and specific things. Uh, and, and honestly, it's just not that hard. I always thought personal finance was overwhelming. And again, that was my my big impetus to sit down and write this book is to kind of demystify things and and to simplify things that I think a lot of people think are really complex. And and uh, there's a lot of people in the finance industry that have reason to make them complex because that's how they make a living um, to sell products that you don't need. But uh, stuff doesn't have to be that hard and, and uh, it can really change your life. And so those tips and tricks are uh, are in the book. Yeah, for sure. I mean, okay. I mean, I don't know how much, I mean, I know this isn't a, a finance podcast and we can dive into stuff. Well, I, I'm happy to talk about whatever you want, but I don't know if we'll lose people, but I mean, just some simple things is like, oh, go ahead. Uh, um, like if, if you have a, an employer uh, and you have like a 401k account, uh, like some simple mistakes that we made were, um, our, we, we worked with an advisor and an advisor gets paid by having your assets under their management. Um, and I never really took the time to step back. I mean, when I say this out loud, it sounds really obvious now that I know, but uh, I certainly never thought of it, and I'm sure a lot of people in the audience <laughs> have no idea um, how they invest or what they're doing or, or what how their investing advisor is paid if they're if they're using an advisor. Uh, so just simply doing that, uh, we were we were throwing away about eight or nine thousand dollars in fees in the last year. We used our advisor that we didn't even know we were paying. They're all completely hidden, and they didn't add any value to us. And then by instead using our 401k at work, you can defer all these taxes, and we probably saved another eight or nine thousand. So that's you know, we're saving fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per year, uh, just in taxes and fees that we didn't need to be paying, uh, just by taking a little bit of time to educate ourselves. So, again, you have to be saving money already to for these things to really matter. But once you are, I mean, they really throw gasoline on a fire, and it really accelerates your time to where you can be financially independent, and uh, and it also makes your money last a lot longer whenever you are uh, living off of your assets versus paying all these fees that that you really don't have to. Yeah, that that is. Uh... That is the daunting side of it to me, is dealing with all those, um, just the, the, the those little steps that can save you thousands, but you feel stupid if you, for not seeing them originally. And and I don't know about you, but I consider myself pretty frugal, and I'll sit there and stress out over you know two prices between two different types of bananas, and just totally not even care about you know tax regulations that I'm not seeing that I'm spending thousands more dollars on that I should be, but I'll sit there and stress out about, you know, (laughs) the weight of a fruit. And, uh, (laughs) when I do it, when, if I flipped that, I could just not care. I could buy anything I want at the grocery store and not really pay much attention because I know I'm saving so much more with these much bigger chunks of money on this other side that I most of the time totally neglect. And, and for sure, like um, taxes are a big one. Like I was 
guilty as anyone else. Like for the first 10 years of my career, like everybody complains about taxes, depending what your political beliefs are. Somebody's paying too little and, but everybody thinks they're paying too much uh, that, that much I can promise you. And, right, uh, but right. nobody actually takes the time to actually learn what are you actually paying and how are you paying it and how can you reduce it? And man, the ways are so simple. And we, we really kind of lay out a, a tax strategy in the book that it's really, really simple. I mean, really simple. Um, and, and so many people can do this once you start saving, but people just don't take the time to realize it and, and the impact that it can have because they do feel so overwhelmed. And again, there's, there's so much incentive for people to make things complex, but man, if you simplify it, it's, it's just not that hard. So well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to checking it out then. Cause it's something I've neglected probably long enough as well with, you know, being a new dad, it's, it's time to get serious about some of this stuff. So I'll, I'll definitely be getting a copy. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and congratulations on finishing it. Um, so for you, I'm sure next is, you know, in part promoting the book and getting the word out there. And probably there's going to be a lot. I've never written a book, so I don't know, but I can imagine there's a lot to do. Um, so what's kind of on your horizon with, with adventure and with, uh, with your quote retirement? Yeah. So, so we've, we're coming up on our first year here in Utah. Mm -hmm. And so what we're kind of really just focusing on is, um, it's not super fun still to sit in a car with a, with a six-year-old. It's actually easier like where you're at with a, with a real young one uh, when they sleep. <laughs> uh, my daughter does not sleep in the car anymore. So we're really focusing on stuff within an hour or two from here. Like I'm sure we're going to go up to City of Rocks in, in uh, Idaho this year. We've not been there. Um, my wife and I have skied a good bit in the, in the Cottonwoods down outside of Salt Lake City. But since we've lived here, we actually have not hiked or done much of anything just down in the Cottonwoods. So I think we're going to kind of focus on this two-hour radius around where we're at for the next year or two. And and then if we go out to like a four-hour radius, we have all the parks in southern Utah. We have the Tetons, um, uh, Yellowstone. So uh, we have a lot of kind of local adventures where we're focusing on. And then kind of something on our horizon, um, we definitely uh, – we'd like to do an RV trip um, before our daughter gets too old that she doesn't enjoy spending time with us. But when she's old enough to really – we can get out and do some adventures. I think that would be really cool. And, um, and uh, something we started when we were living on the East Coast just by accident um, – when my wife was pregnant, she was just dying to climb. And um, so we set up this little bouldering trip through like North Carolina and Virginia for like early in the spring when it was warmer there than it was in Pennsylvania. And uh, she ended up tearing a tendon in her finger. And so she couldn't climb. And then on the last day of ski season, I broke my thumb. So I couldn't climb, but we had this trip planned. So we turned it into a hiking trip. And while we were there, we ended up hiking Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. And I can't even remember the name of it, but it's a, a mountain in Virginia. And they, they were the two highest points in the state. And so because we're knuckleheads, uh, we kind of determined that if we did two of the highest points in the country, we're going to do all 50 as the, as a family. So that's kind of our adventure. And we ended up, I think we're up to like 15 or 16. We've pretty much hit the whole East coast with our daughter. Oh, and wow. so now we got to start hitting some of the bigger mountains out West. And, uh, and I think as we go across the country, that'd be a neat way to see the country. Just, uh, it's pretty arbitrary. There's some, like the highest point in, um, Delaware we hit, it's a sign in the middle of a neighborhood. It's not quite a mountaineering objective, but some of them are pretty beautiful and, and it's just kind of a neat way to see the country. So that's something we're pursuing. Oh man, that'll be uh that'll be fun. We, we had on the show probably, I don't know, six months ago now, the guy that has the record for getting the high points of all 50 States, the quickest. And, uh, it actually might be just the lower 48, but I'm pretty sure he did them all. Um, but he's like an ultra runner and crazy guy, but, uh, there's going to be some mundane sections of that pursuit. I can tell you right now. I, I'm from Florida and I know the highest point of our state is not even the top of a hill in the state. We've, we've hit the, 
we've hit the high point of Florida and uh, that was our most dangerous high point so far because you don't have to like put shoes on. So we walked in flip-flops Oh my and, <laughs> and, and I'm kind of, uh, I don't want to scare people off. It was actually a neat little, like it's a little park in the town, but there was like a hypodermic needle on the ground. I almost stepped on it. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> so, that's Florida. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Oh my goodness. That, that was actually our most dangerous high point. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. You're going to the Midwest. Oh man. There's going to be some rough ones, but there's going to be some extreme variations of course, because there's some big mountains out there. Yeah, when we when before our daughter, we were starting to get into high altitude mountaineering, and and I really wanted to do Denali, and and that's still in the back of my mind. So, um, it's not as nearly the priority priority it was before. But if my daughter continues to like being a mountain person, and and who knows when she's eighteen or nineteen, and I'll still be hopefully in good enough shape, like that would be a pretty cool way to ca- uh, cap it and top it off. But we'll see. No pressure. And that's a good attitude about it. You know, I'm glad you're not forcing her into this uh, into this objective with you. Um, but you know, if it's something she just decides to do, that'll be an incredible thing to do as a family. And then you can write a book about that. Yeah. You never know. You'll have an experience. (laughs) Anything work related? Uh, no. Um, I really, um, I genuinely kind of entered this thinking I was kind of more retiring and, and like I, we talked a little bit about, but how the, the blog project and the book project fell into my lap and, uh, they're exciting, but I also kind of just want to slow down and, uh, not do quite so much. And just kind of um, not commit to really anything for the next year or so and just kind of really enjoy kind of the position we put ourselves in and and determine what do I really want to do next. Because I really was super passionate about writing this book. Uh, But now that that's done, um, I don't know what's next. And and I want to just kind of step back and really figure that out rather than just jumping into something without really thinking about it. Can you tell us your your blog and how often you uh, write there? Yeah, my blog is called Can I Retire Yet? And it's really focused on um, early retirement, planning for it, um, making that decision around retiring. Um, and I write, uh, we write every Monday. Um, so I, my the guy who started it, his name is Daryl Kirkpatrick, and uh, he started the blog. So he writes one, one Monday a week, and I write two Mondays a week. And then on that fourth week, uh, we do like a roundup of just like articles from around the internet. So um, I, I don't spend a ton of time on that. Um, and uh, I'd like to turn a little more attention to to getting back and, and getting into the regular blogging. It's it's a lot less pressure. You just kind of sit down and write for a few hours and publish and a lot more instant gratification versus the book where you write and you edit and you re-edit and you, uh, you take a year until you turn something around and put it out in the public and get any feedback on it. So uh, I kind of like blogging better. I like that instant gratification. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you, man. That's what this show is. I mean, it's we're laid back. We release, you know, two new episodes a week and I don't know, just like to keep that going, like you said. It's 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 kind of like this bumblebee mentality. Kind of jump from flower to flower to flower rather than just being invested for multiple years in one project at one time with I don't know. It seems risky because <laughs> it, it might not go well in the end. Now now it can just be like, that blog post was good. That one was okay. That one was great. That one sucked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, cool. So I, I'd love to share the link um, when the uh, when the book comes out and let people know it's it's on the horizon. Is it ava- It's available for pre-order, you said? Yeah, you can. We have... Um... So it's choosefi.com slash book, and you can see there, and uh, it's on Amazon already, and and really anywhere you can order books. You can pre-order it now, but it won't be officially available until October 1st. This was great. Any any, any parting words of advice or or anything you've learned? 
Uh, no, you know, I, um, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. I've kind of been looking for ways to bring this message to the outdoor community because I think there is that, again, that natural uh, frugality. And, and we talked about finding your why. And I think a lot of people are so passionate about being outdoors. And, and I really hope just people see that this is a realistic option for normal, everyday people. You don't have to uh, kind of like we talked about before, be born with a silver spoon or make this massive income. Uh, but if you're creative and you take the time to just learn things, um, it's it's really an achievable path for a lot of people. So I hope I hope people get that take home message from this conversation today. And and I appreciate being here because I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate, it. and I'm glad you're trying to get it out. I, you know, I think the outdoor community, we know what's out there, and we know that what's out there is way more rewarding than you know, any house we can buy or any car we can buy. We know that being camping on the edge of this lake is, is where life is. That's what it's all about. Not about impressing our neighbors. I think that's just a given in this community. Yeah, for sure. And, and so it's just, uh, figuring out like the desire, I think for a lot of people is they are just figuring out how to actually do it. And, and hopefully, um, hopefully my writing and, and this conversation uh, will kind of spark an interest in people and, and get them going down this path. Awesome, Chris. Well, thanks so much, man. And we'll, we'll do everything we can to get the word out there for you. So, uh, but thank you for joining us and sharing your wisdom and what you've learned. And congratulations again, by the way, I know this is all still um, pretty fresh. Yep. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Well, have a good one. You too. Take care now. All right. See ya. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.